You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the second episode of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. Uh, this is their, our first instant cast, second episode, first instant cast, coming to you after the Clemson game. Uh, Matt Minnick here with Michael Rogner, and uh, we're talking after the Clemson win, a 72-53 to beatdown of the Tigers. And, and honestly, if you've watched Leonard Hamilton basketball teams over the last decade and a half, this is not an uncommon trend uh, where it's a tight game maybe in the first half and Florida state using its superior depth and, and just frankly, athleticism just wears the opponent down at home and, and wins by double digits. Michael, um, is that, is that what you saw? Yeah. I mean, I've seen this game 25 times, but I still felt uh, a little uncomfortable in that first half. I mean, the, the team did not play well at all. And then he had that, that weird kind of loose ball scramble at the end of the half, and Clemson hits a three. The dude's an 18% shooter, hit two threes, um, and go in with a six-point lead. And at that point, I, I, have to, I was a little concerned. When, so, like you said, you've seen this 25 times, and it feels like something we've seen a couple of times already this year. When – when Hamilton goes to that, that first full line change around the maybe 15, you know, 15, 14 minute mark um, at this point, you know, the bench just had, has not been giving a lot offensively, although we'll talk in a second about Anthony Polite's second half explosion, but is that something that you've just got to keep doing that to develop the bench? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's some guys on the bench that have to be good. Um, I, would, I would say by March, you know, Raquan Evans is a key one. Anthony Polite, 
Patrick Williams, you know, all the, all those guys have to have to keep playing heavy minutes in order to, to develop. So I've, I've got no problem with, with him doing that or with the style. We just, the, the disparity right now between the guys that he's comfortable with and the guys who are starting on the bench are, is just, is pretty huge. Yeah. I, so what you, what I hear you saying is that the, we, we've got to sow some seeds now in order to harvest the fruit later in the year. Um, which I get, you know, basketball is not a sport where there is any award for being the best team in December or even the best team in February. Um, so I'm, I'm with you there. What, what is the ideal situation? Like what if we, Raekwon Evans is a great example. If in March, this plan has come to fruition, what is the ideal case for the type of player that Raekwon Evans maybe hopefully could be this season? I think we saw it last year with David Nichols. You know, early on he was a complete mess. It just every every good team we played just just you know turned him into Jello. And then by the end of the year, he I mean basically he he was it the Virginia game that he it was. You know, scored a bunch of points yeah. quick and basically Virginia won the ACC game. tournament game. Yeah, in yeah. the tournament. Yeah, exactly. Um, so th- so that's what we need out of Evans is one to have him come in and be able to rest forest and the team doesn't just totally tank and then also to be able to play off the ball with forest you know give us another ball handler and hopefully start giving us a little more offense than you know than he's doing right now yeah it's interesting that you say that you know the off so in the second half there there were uh, several possessions where evans and forest were on the court at the same time i i felt that was where evans perhaps looked his best um it was also helpful that they were playing with a double digit lead, which is, you know, always easier when in terms of executing a half court offense, but um, how can Trent force? I mean, I, I honestly, when I look up and see the guy, when I see rosters or, or the lineup on the floor that does not include at least one of MJ Walker, Devin Vassell or Trent Forrest, I, I wonder where his offense going to come from. How can you get those guys rest and also not go, five or six minutes without getting a basket is it it's just these you know folks like Patrick Williams and Evans and Gray and, and hopefully not polite simply just have to step up and execute the, the half court sets and, and make a bucket yeah well I, I, I don't think that we'll play a, possess, a meaningful possession without at least one of those three guys that you just mentioned on the on the court um, and until uh, you know and, 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 and until polite and some of those other guys Raycon Gray he's a good example develop a little more of an offensive game then we're pretty reliant on uh you know transition and just drive in and dish for a three and that's basically what we're going to get out of those guys um you know until they develop a little bit more yeah and the defense in the first half some of it looked like it was a little bit of Clemson just frankly having you know they were a bit above their average from three that regressed to the mean in the second half as as the mean is want to do. Um, and, but I will say that the defense in the first half was not clicking on all cylinders. And, and it looks to me like we're at a point with this team right now where the, the offense is simply not good enough to win meaningful basketball games. If the defense takes a day off, do you agree with that? Yeah. And the, the offense in the second half though was really good. And, and the difference is that small ball lineup that we went to with about six minutes to go that's obviously not something you can do for every game or all game every game, but, but how is Florida State going to 
develop a little more of an offense, um, you know, when they have their post players in. Because today it was a mess, and it also enabled um, Clemson, which we can get into, it enabled Clemson to really be a lot more efficient in their offense and get better looks uh, than they were able to get in the second half. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into that. Uh, I, you know, your point. This wasn't the first game that they've gone to the small ball lineup and kind of stuck with it. They did the exact same thing against Indiana a few days ago, and it was able to cut that Indiana lead down to about three with four or five minutes to go. When, when basically at the end of that, it looked like Florida State's legs just you know, wore out three three games in five days, and and their legs just fell apart. But so it's two games in a row where the opponent builds a decent size lead switch to a small ball lineup. Uh, is that something that you would expect to see from the tip? I would be really surprised to see it from the tip. I mean, ham and his staff are pretty, uh, you know, there's a, there's a reason that they have such a great reputation for developing bigs. And I would imagine that their vision for this team includes uh, Balsa and Dom or one of, you know, at least one of those guys playing well from the post in March and, and, you know, giving us a lot of meaningful possessions where, but right now it's just not happening. Yeah, no, I, so I, I agree with you, first of all, that there's no way that we see a tip that doesn't include either Bolsa or Dom, you know, tipping for the ball, unless both were hurt. Um, as far as what would I like to see, I think it's an interesting study in, do you, would you prefer the, the higher floor, lower ceiling type of team, which to me would be uh, probably if, if we predominantly decided we're just going to switch to small ball, I think that our small ball roster could crank out 19, 20, 21 wins um, and go to the second, you know, second round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, or would you prefer a lower floor with a higher ceiling option uh, where you are, you know, the small ball roster is something that you're able to deploy for stretches to really catch a team off guard or maybe to speed a team up that's not comfortable with it, but also being able to, to deploy a physical interior presence that can grind teams. And, and, you know, at some point you're gonna have to play, you know, a team that has some true bigs and they would just eat the small ball lineup alive. Um, so I, maybe I'd ask you, would, would you, if I asked you right now, you, you, if I guaranteed you second round of the NCAA tournament or like, you know, we're probably going to maybe get to the NCAA tournament anyways with our resume already. Um, do I get the sense that you'd rather prefer to keep to try to build, develop those bigs and try to see what, what our ceiling can be in March? Yeah, I think that's the better team is you, you, you've got 12 scholarship guys. You want all 12 of them uh, um, contributing. And having Balsa and Dom out there gives us a look on both ends of the floor that's just a lot different than the small ball. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to come in handy if, if we can get a little more efficient with it. So let's switch over to Anthony Polite. We talked a little bit about him earlier. Uh, it was the most complete second half, at least, uh, a half of a game that we've seen him play in Garnet and Gold. I believe he ended up maybe four for six from three. Um, but looked confident shooting the ball, his standard, uh, excellence on defense. I don't want you to speculate, but, um, is something that you, would you say you were surprised by this or have you seen that, you know, maybe flashes that this could be coming? Well, the, the, just the shooting, I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that looks when he is in rhythm and shooting that the ball's going down, you know, he's, he's got a beautiful shot, nice release. 
and it was nice to finally see him have that, you know, that kind of game. Um, in terms of all the other stuff that he does on offense, it can it can be a little bit of a of, of a mess. There was one where he passed up the open three and then drove, and and soon as he put the ball on the ground, I was just trying to figure out where the turnover was coming, and sure enough, he went baseline and, and you know threw it to the bench or something, but. So it was, it was great to see him, you know, have that shooting game and it came totally out of the small ball lineup, which creates a lot more space. Um, so I think, I think that he's one of those guys who's probably going to benefit uh, the more small ball that F- FSU plays, the, the, you know, the better he's going to play. Does Anthony Polite benefit from a better and more efficient Raekwon Evans? And by that, I mean someone else who can initiate the offense in that second unit to where Polite can do what he does best, which is hit corner threes, grab offensive rebounds, and whip the ball around the perimeter if he's not forced to actually initiate the offense. Absolutely. Yeah, Polite, I, I think Polite is sort of like where MJ was last year. You know, we mm-hmm. just we thought Great. of MJ as, as this 3 and D guy, and that's what Polite is right now. And, and all the other stuff is going to come. He's only a sophomore. He's really old for a sophomore, but he's only a sophomore. Um, so yeah, he, it, having Evans to get back to your question, having Evans be able to handle actually running the offense would do wonders for a polite and basically all the other guys. Yeah, and and I do agree with you that the small ball unit does seem to create more space, which polite at this point in his career seems a bit more confident operating in space than in confined areas. His shooting then in turn opened up more space, and I think what you saw was that dominant offensive performance uh, of the second half. Let's touch on uh, Vassell real quick as well, who really had he, – he kind of, I think, started the second half off with, with that uh, – did he hit the corner three to start it off right off the bat? Um, uh, yeah, Patrick Williams hit the second one, I think, the first one. Yeah, it might have been Vassell. Yeah. I, I think it was Vassell. And then I know for a fact he, he had the offensive board, the kick out to another three. Uh, he hit the floor on defense. He had a huge block that actually didn't lead to transition points. But, you know, it makes Clemson think twice about going in on the inside. And, uh, and then also contributed with, with a couple of nice pull-up Jays. That is what I think we talked about on the first podcast with he is one of those guys that really just needs to become a dude. You know, like, and by dude, I mean, he just has to start carrying the offense and saying, I'm going to get my shots up when the offense needs some buckets. Did you see that from him today? Yeah, I, I, I thought that, you know, people kept complaining. I know you're asking about Vassell and I'm going to talk about MJ Walker, but people kept, kept complaining that MJ Walker was forcing the action today and he was and he took a lot of bad shots. But I honestly, I didn't care. It was like, we need these guys to be more aggressive and MJ was finally doing it. And Vassell did it well early in the game and he did it well late in the game. He had a, he had a stretch in the middle where he – he was kind of passing up, you know, some shots and moving ball around. But I, I thought overall Vassell did a really good job of, of, of being more aggressive. He's, he's just – that's not in his nature. And to see him, you know, really do it at a time when, when Florida State needed him to do it uh, was good to see. And I, and I would like to see him uh, be – he took 10 shots today, I think. I, you know, I, I, I would like to – in a game like this, I would like to see that at like 14 or 15 shots, like really looking to get a shot up. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think people don't realize that Devin Vassell is, he only just turned 19 in August. Um, he has the highest offensive rating on the team of folks who uh, played enough minutes to qualify for a, for a national ranking. Um, and, and, I, and I'm with you on Vassell needing to take even more shots. I, I just, I feel better about a, a Devin Vassell, you know, in transition three probably than I do about someone else shooting a half court, you know, jumper or forced layup. I also agree with the MJ Walker. I'm okay with him being aggressive and hunting shots, particularly in a game where in the beginning, frankly, Florida State just, just putting up a shot might not be a bad thing if they can turn that into an offensive rebound um, or, or next time it forces the defense to respect it that can, can then get an open look for someone else. I think MJ, I'm actually not concerned. I think the more that he's on the court, uh, you know, he, he's missed three games. He's missed a whole lot of practice time. The, just him getting more shots up is a good thing. Um, and, and that kind of leads me to one, one other question I um, had in my mind while watching the game. You know, it was a 15, 16 point lead for much of the last uh, 10 minutes. And, and I was thinking maybe, um, you know, does Hamilton look to get some of the, the starters or maybe the small ball starters out at the five minute mark? I think we all held our breath when Trent Forrest uh, kind of twisted his ankle there a little bit there when he stepped on, on the defender's shoe. Uh, what, what did you think about um, really the, the starters playing up until about a minute and a half to go in the game? I would have been fine with him staying in the whole game. I mean, we, at this point, we had gone to the small ball lineup with about five minutes left in the first half. So they, they played together for 25 minutes essentially. And I, I would have been fine going to the end because they were still playing hard. You know, they weren't taking plays off. And that's how you, you develop guys. You know, we go to the, the, the green team there at the end, which is fine. You know, I, I like to see those guys play as much as everybody else does. And Linder hits the three and everybody's going nuts. And, you know, it, it was a good ending. But I, at this point, I don't really care how much the new guy – I don't think anybody's going to get too many minutes at this point, except maybe Forrest. You know, he obviously needs to rest. But I'm, I'm fine with extending the guys to the end of the game. Yeah, no, I see. I do see your point there that just getting these guys minutes together on the court is not that that's been a challenge even in practice. Uh, so I see your, your point there. I guess we'll just have to hope that, you know, there's no freak freak accidents like what almost happened with Forrest there <laughs> on, on the ankle turn. Uh, so again, Florida State does uh, just dominate Clemson in the second half. Be, I think was 45-20 was the second half uh, to turn a six point halftime deficit into a 19 point blowout victory at home uh 54 and three I believe is the home record now over the last three years so I think going into this you know you said a double digit win I said by 15 Florida State actually uh did did us both better than that and and wins by almost 20 um so that's a bow on that like what is there any it's a Sunday here it has is there any other big Florida State news uh that that came out today I, I think there's Possibly that other sport might have might have made a big announcement uh, with the hiring of head coach Mike Norvell. Uh, this is if you're keeping count at home, this will now be the fourth uh, head coach at Florida State football uh, since since the beginning of Leonard Hamilton's tenure. Uh, fifth, if you would count Odell Higgins there as a, as a head coach. Um, Michael, any thoughts on Coach Norvell? 
Well, I, I watched, you know, they interviewed him during the game and I caught, caught a little bit of the introductory press conference. It's, it's, it's hard to lose a press conference. So I'll, I'll, I will give him that, that he definitely won that. He, he had good energy. Taking a step up from Memphis to FSU is a, that's a big step. Um, but FSU is in a, in a league that it can dominate outside of one team and and a hotbed for recruiting and it's not you know with the history that florida state has it's, it's not a particularly tough place um to win so it is a big step up but but uh you know this guy can probably do it of course i said the same thing about about uh our last coach so about about willie you know i i will have to admit that i've been one that was more down on the process than most i i generally speaking don't think it's great timing to try to hire a head coach when when the president of the university is only going to be here another nine to 12 months and the athletic director is essentially he's not he's not an interim athletic director but he technically is because he kind of took the job knowing that he'd be leaving with president thrasher uh, I, so i never i never really bought into the timing but i will agree with you that i liked the comments that i heard i think it was nice of norvell to show up to the basketball game if he's on campus on the first day go and take some pictures with some fans take some pictures uh with some of the students i also caught a bit of the intro press uh press conference i appreciated how he shouted out his former bosses uh, and even his high school coach and peewee coach, it seems like he's the kind of guy who values relationships, which, of course, is is big in recruiting. Um, I just don't – I feel like at this point, I just almost feel like it's as big of a crapshoot as three-pointers, right? Uh, sometimes the threes go in and sometimes they don't. I, I feel like that's where I'm at now with with head coaching searches, uh, particularly if if you're not one of the two or three schools who can actually – go and snatch a, another proven head coach from a, from a name blue blood, the way someone like a UNC did with Roy Williams coming over from Kansas. Um, what would be, I don't know. Is there a, is there a baseline that you would even want to see for his first year? I mean, is six and six good. I don't think we're going to be very good next year. I know neither of us are football analysts, but. Yeah, I, I can't see us being very good at all next year. But six and six, I think that's got to be the floor for any Florida State team. I mean, there's gonna there's gonna be some talent regardless of who's on the roster next year. And you're and, still playing games against you know Wake Forest and Boston College and teams right. like that. Yeah, you get like three free wins, and then you got to win three more games. It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. So speaking of the of head coaches and, and just guys that, you know, expectations, I want to change gears here a little bit and talk about Mike White and the situation down at UF uh, in Gainesville. I'm, I'm not suggesting that the seat is hot for Mike White. Um, I, maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't. I, I don't think it is. But we're talking about a team now that I, I believe has seven blue chip uh, – blue chip recruits they're they're six and three but they're really one and three because only one of those six wins is over a meaningful opponent uh and that was the win over xavier and i've interviewed mark mike white i've had personal conversations with him he is a sharp uh just he clearly knows basketball and there's clearly something not working with with his coaching in gainesville i do you i mean do you have any thoughts on what's going on down there? 
Yeah, when I when I watch them play, I mean, I'm 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 not talking to people like I am about Florida State basketball, but when I watch them play, there's just no identity. Their offense is a bunch of guys who think it's their turn to put up a shot. Somebody comes, so if somebody comes in on the bench and he's been sitting longer than they think, then I will guarantee he's going to be shooting like first time he touches the ball. And defensively, they're kind of gelling just because they do have so much talent and they have a pretty good defensive system, but their offense is just a, a train wreck. You've got, when I look at that team, I see Kerry Blackshear, Keontae Johnson, Noah Locke. Those three guys should be scoring 45 points a game, 40 to 45 points a game. And everybody else should be taking what comes, um, you know, in the flow of the offense, but they're not. It's just, it's just, um, it's like, what is their offense? Can I mean, so Florida (laughs) state has made this, you know, we had this great uh, twin post kind of read and react motion. And now, now we've kind of switched to this four out one in which I think was a brilliant move. We've talked about before. Uh, really utilizing this evolution to the positionless basketball. What what is UF's offense? What what is their identity? What do they do? Well, in theory, I mean, the, they they've got some like most teams. They've got sort of an early offense and then a, a mid offense or a, you know, a final twenty second offense, whatever you want to call it. Um, so they've got a bunch of actions where they're looking to get something early. Uh, they play pretty slow, so that's not usually all that effective. And then they go into their motion. And once they go into their motion, then there's just, there's, there's nothing. And I think that they have the talent to really, uh, you know, score a lot of points. But it's like Kerry Blackshear is not doing what he needs to be doing. Um, the guys who should be shooting more are not shooting more. The guys who should be shooting less, um, you know, are taking way too many shots. It's just, they're, they're, they're not buying into... Uh, you know, whatever, whatever the identity is that they're trying, the staff is trying to, th- I mean, they're smart. Those coaches are smart. I'm sure they're, they're, they're trying to instill some sort of, you know, offensive identity, but the players I think are just not buying it. Yeah. I'm with you on the slow. T- I mean, we're, so this is a team that is 236th in, in offensive tempo in basketball, which, which is just stupid when you have, what do, do they have three, five stars on their roster? Exactly. Yeah, there's probably two teams in the country that have more than that. Yeah. So they've got they've got a five star point guard, a five star shooting guard, and a and a five star small forward. Um, all of which you know at one point in time have been projected NBA draft picks, uh, and they're playing at a 236th pace. That I just don't get at all. Um, and and then Kerry Blackshear, to your point, probably the most coveted transfer that we've seen in a couple years. Uh, he, he's 40 for 50 from the free throw line in nine games, which is outstanding. And yet he kind of hangs around the perimeter and he's a 26% three point shooter on the year. Um, I, I just don't get it. And, and maybe to tie some of this back into the, to the Mike Norvell conversation. So here's someone who we saw Mike white up close and personal when, when he brought his La tech teams to Tallahassee during the NIT and, and, so they were 27 and 7 in 2013, 29 and 8 in 2014, 27 and 9 in 2015. By all accounts, Florida hit a home run higher when they brought on Mike White. Again, he is a sharp, as sharp as it gets. They're talented. Does this just underscore maybe the 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 flip of the coin? So he's he's had in now he's in his fifth season at US. So in the first four seasons. 
three of those four seasons had 13 or more losses, one of which had 16 losses. Is this just underscores the, the flip of the coin? Yeah, I, I was so bummed when they when Florida hired him. I, I remember where I was. I was in Reno, and I was at, at, a, at a conference or something. And I remember I was text, texting my brothers, who are both Gators, that they had just made a brilliant hire. And here we are five years later, and it's just kind of rudderless, you know. And the there's going to be people, to bring this back to Norvell, there's going to be people out there. I mean, everybody, every website, every talking head, everybody's going to have a strong opinion about this hire and the reality is that nobody knows nobody knows how it's going to work nobody knows how it's going to work out if there's if there is an analyst out there that's got a great track record for this stuff then then somebody needs to 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 point that person out because i don't i don't i don't think that they exist yeah no i'm with you i'm with you there for sure i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, let's, Let's maybe change gears a bit to just some other action that's going on. You know, we talked about, so we talked about on the first podcast, would would the UVA UNC game match that 38 31 score they had on the gridiron? I saw that, uh, I saw that UVA won the game of 21, uh, in the first <laughs> half. I think it was 24 to 18. Maybe I, I don't have the game on right in front of me, but great defense or bad offense or both. I, I don't know what is going on in Charlottesville. Yeah, it was, it was six, five with 10 minutes to go in the half. So apparently they had, an offensive explosion that I missed, but I've, I've been kind of watching the game, uh, you know, as, as, as we go. And I, I don't know that I've seen a point scored. It's, it's, there, there, there was a, a break earlier where, where Kia Clark had the ball, nobody ahead of him and he dribbles it off his knee into into the cheerleaders. You know, it's just one, it's one of those games. And there's another missed shot as, as, as we speak. Yeah, well, it's I. So we're a couple minutes into the second half, and Leaky Black is UNC's leading scorer with six points. Um, that's not good. So I, I don't know. It, it makes me. We've got uh, we've got UVA coming to town in in mid January, and I just. I mean, that's a game right now that in Tuck you got to feel pretty good about, right? Absolutely. I, I'm I'm thinking at this point we'd be favored. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, our track record in Tallahassee combined with just the, just the ineptitude of, of Virginia's offense. Now, now I'll say this, that the game could be one in the forties because you know, UVA is going to keep it slow. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I think maybe not only favored, but maybe that's actually a, a six or eight point win, which, which against a team like Virginia, when there's only 55 possessions is, pretty good uh elsewhere around the country i, I see I, I hate to bring this up i know uh, for those who don't know uh michael is a big saint mary's fan out in california uh dayton seems to be putting on saint mary's right now 46 25 at the half dayton's pretty darn good i think uh do you, have you seen dayton play i have i saw i saw him uh play a couple times and they're really good they're they're one of those I guess you can kind of classify them as a mid-major. They're they're probably actually bigger than that. Um, but yeah, they're one of those teams that can 
that can really do some damage. They lost to Kansas, but it was overtime. They destroyed Georgia. They they wrecked Virginia Tech. I mean, they're they're a really tough team, and they're coached by Anthony Grant, who I think um, is much better than than maybe his uh, than his reputation. Sure, Alabama, Alabama, where it was kind yeah. of a mess. Yeah. Well, and Alabama seems to be a tough – there's been several – going back to the coaching, right? There's several high-profile coaches that you think that's a home run hire and, and a few years later it's just not working out. Um, yeah, so I, I, we will definitely be covering national basketball more and more as we get deeper into the season. I'm sure we'll put out a March Madness kind of a preview podcast. But um, I, I am willing to say that Dayton is not a team that I'd want to face in, you know, let's say a, a 4-5 matchup or maybe a 6-3 matchup. Um, that is not a second-round opponent I'd like to see in March. No. I'm just trying to look around here at anything else. Uh, not, not too much standing out on, on a Sunday. I know there's NFL going on. Uh, do, who, who's your NFL team, Michael? Do you have an NFL team? Nah, not really. I, 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 when I, I was a Patriots fan since I was a kid, but if you tell people that now, they think that you just exactly yeah. yeah well, that's t- <laughs> I, I'm I'm a Green Bay fan. Uh, ever since I was huge Terrell Buckley, Leroy Butler fans growing up, and then they went up north together with Edgar Bennett. So uh, the Packers did get a win today, so that was nice. But let's let's look forward then um, to some FSU basketball. Um, do you think that Florida state stays ranked on Monday? We went one and one this week. Uh, we were 17th coming in a whole lot of losses in the top 25. Does FSU stay ranked? Yeah. You know, voters are so fickle and dumb when it comes to this stuff. And, and I can see them, there's going to be somebody who doesn't watch today and the, or several people who didn't don't watch pay attention today because it's a Sunday and they're going to drop us out of the rankings, you know, because yeah. the, because we we were and to them we were zero and one this week when you know reality is one and one. Sure. Did the score help today though? If they just decided I'm going to look at the score of every ranked team. Oh yeah, you check in at the end and it looks like like Florida State was, you know, cruised the whole game. But I I think we stay in. I think oh you know like twenty two you know somewhere around in there twenty one. So let me ask: you, Does it matter? <laughs> does Does it matter to be ranked? Yes and no. I mean everybody says it doesn't matter because the committee doesn't care about rankings and your seed in March has nothing to do with rankings. But if you're ranked, your score is scrolling under on sure. every TV. You, uh, you can talk to commi- uh, you know, recruits about being ranked. You can you know, have it all It gets this talked about on SportsCenter if people still exactly. watch that or, yep. or SVP at, at night. Yeah. Um, if you're number 26, nobody's talking about you. That is, that is an accurate statement, even though you could be 26 in the polls and actually 15th on Ken Palm. Um, so I'll, I'll say this, if we do stay ranked, and I, and I think your 22 number might actually be, be the one to go with there if I was putting over under. If we do stay ranked, we will probably stay ranked for another week uh, because Florida State actually has nine days off uh, between now and their next game, which is, I believe, Tuesday the 17th. Uh, the, the guys are going to take some finals and, and rest and hopefully be able to practice as a full team. And, and then they'll kind of do a tour de force with a few directional schools. I think they're going to play um, North, Northern Alabama and Northern Florida. They're going to hit both those up with, with South Florida uh, in between that and actually a neutral court game. Uh, and then they'll follow up those three games with Georgia Tech at home out of those four, which would be the one that you'd be most concerned about um, for the remaining games of 2019? 
Yeah, I'm probably more concerned about the South Florida game than I am about Georgia Tech. South Florida is not terrible. We get them at a neutral site. It's like right before Christmas. You know, people are going to be wanting to go see their families. It's 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 one of those games where you could definitely see the team having a big letdown. Um, they're coached by Brian Gregory. He's really familiar, you know, from his Georgia Tech days with, with Florida State. So he'll have his guys prepared. They beat uh, Furman, who's actually a pretty good team. Loyola, Chicago, that made that run, you know, in the tournament. They're actually they're a pretty good team. So they're they're not a ter- you know they're not terrible. And we get them on a neutral court. And I'd I'd say that I'm more confident about beating Georgia Tech, which is an ACC team, than I am about South Florida. So part of that because the Georgia Tech game's at home. Um, and, totally. and speaking of offensively challenged teams, they would fall in with that UVA and UNC category. Um, yeah, South Florida's an interesting interesting team. It, was it Oklahoma State a few years ago that we went down around Christmas time and, and lost um, to, to, frankly, an Oklahoma State team that was not as good as us yeah. um, on that same neutral? It's, it's the Orange Bowl Classic, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's what, so actually it's neutral site, but probably closer to South Florida than it is to, to Florida state. Um, I, I do agree. That's one that is losable. I think that if you asked me what the most likely record was, I'd say we'd probably go four and over that stretch, but three and one is certainly not out of the question. Um, and, and to be quite honest with the, with the start of the season that we had, I don't know that three and one is all that damaging as long as the one isn't North Florida or North Alabama. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think that, you know, nine days off is going to be great. I'll really look forward to see maybe what the team looks like with a continuous week of practice. And then, uh, I think we'll be back to do, maybe we'll have another podcast here next weekend to do a little bit of a deeper preview of some of those games. Uh, but with the week off for Florida State, is there anything that you're looking forward to uh, on the national scene? Any any games that we should be keeping our eye on? There's not a ton this week, unfortunately, but Tuesday is definitely a day to circle. You, there are tons of good games. you got the Madison Square Garden game, so you've got uh, Louisville. Texas Tech, Louisville? Yeah, 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 Louisville, Texas Tech, and then UConn and Indiana. And I'd really like to see how Indiana – they kind of laid an egg after they beat Florida State. They went up. They went to Wisconsin and, and got beaten. Which, which is a tough place to play, Cola Arena there. Yeah, but a neutral site, well, technically neutral site against UConn is a game they should win. So I, I, I'm interested to see that on Tuesday. And the earlier game I mentioned, yeah, Louisville, Texas Tech. And then that same uh, night you've got Butler playing at Baylor, which is two, you know, probably potential top ten teams and Maryland playing at Penn State. and People look at Maryland and Penn State, maybe maybe aren't thinking much, but Penn State can play. They're actually good this year, which is weird uh, for basketball. Yeah, that that is weird. Uh, yeah, no, Tuesday night is a solid night, and and I'll throw in one on Wednesday too if you're just looking for some ACC action. Uh, Virginia Tech hosts Chattanooga. You know, we've already seen Chattanooga, and and they're a I, look, they're not a great team. I don't even know that I'd call them a good team, but they are they are a team that can certainly hit some threes and and do some things well. So I, I'll be interested to see how uh, Virginia Tech looks against an opponent that we've already seen uh, once this year. Um, all right. That's, I think that's going to wrap it up for this instant cast. Again, uh, Florida state beats Clemson 72 to 53 in a game that they pulled away with a dominating second half um, led by Devin Vassell uh, for Michael Rogner. I'm Matt Minnick. Uh, it's great to see uh, great to see it here. 
see everybody following along with this podcast. We'll hopefully have it up on Apple uh, iTunes pretty soon. Till next time.